that football book is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's the Thursday edition, man. Yes. You ready to go? Sure. Let's roll. We're podcasting and we titled it Team Building NFL Draft Theory and How to Build Around Your Rookie Quarterback. It's based off some research we're doing and it's very relevant to the NFL Draft right now. The, one of the big question marks is... How do you handle the pandemic and opt-outs? And there's a lot of guys that would be classified as we would consider. They've got one year of production, one one year of analysis. Mm-hmm. So we've done a little bit of study on that. We'll figure that out. You have. You've done study. I've been doing it. Somebody's been, actually let you loose with the database. Diving and, you know, in. Spreadsheets the, and stuff. It's yeah, amazing. Into the numbers. Yeah. I also dove into the numbers on this. Um, the Joe Burrow question is fascinating to me. And Joe Burrow just inter- interviewed on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. Did you see the – so one of my favorite tweets, you know, the Bengals released new uniforms, which look is, – is there a difference between them and the old uniforms? Anyway. They, Some subtleties. They had this, you know, set up where it was like a throne in the middle and then a bunch of players either side, you know, set up a jungle, fancy plants and stuff, right? And some guy tweeted, like, Joe Burrow tore two ligaments in his knee, like, ripped to pieces, but Joe Mixon is the guy that let sit in the chair. <laughs> Joe Burrow is, like, standing to the left. That. They put Mixon in the chair? Yeah, yeah. Weight off the knee. Like, feels like they could have let Joe sit down, you know? Also, he's a running back. Take the weight off the I knee. I mean, come on. You know? I want to do a running back. Joe says he's going to be good to go, though. Yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah. I'm expecting Joe. So this whole question had me thinking about it, and we talk about this all the time. What's the best way? To not only just build your team and build around a quarterback, but what about your young quarterback? So I went back and looked at all the rookie uh, rookie contract QB seasons and tried to find some similarities to what was successful and what wasn't. And something surprised me. Some things checked out. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Okay. Um, and then maybe, you know, tomorrow's episode, keep those mailbag questions coming. Those mm. things are going great. Can and we're going to give away, I got to give away a couple edge annuals. Yeah. Today. Can I give a weird locations update? Yes, last, Which, last show we, we asked people to send in emails to the bulging mailbag, uh, NFL podcast singular at pff.com uh, to just let us know, like, you know, where you're from, what, what kind of weird location can we find people listening to the show in? We haven't yet had anybody from Antarctica, which is disappointing. Yet. We but somebody close. We've had two pretty close. So we had one guy from Tasmania, which is the little like triangular island at the bottom of Australia. So it's about as close as you're going to get. This guy I liked because he gave us a legitimate good day. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's great. As, in his email. So Tasmania, Jersey, the Channel Island, uh, someplace called Nagoya, Japan. Never heard of that, but okay. Frankfurt, Germany. Shanghai, China, from some guy who I think was German or had been from Germany. Went from Germany to Shanghai. So that's multiple locations. 
the next close one to Antarctica is a guy from Dunedin in New Zealand. So New Zealand and Tasmania covered. We're getting pretty close. We just need the, the actual Antarctic ice shelf next. Dunedin, that's where the Blue Jays play in spring training. Not New Zealand, though. Oh, Dunedin, Florida. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Yeah, it probably would be not very strange if they had gone all the way to Dunedin, New Zealand. It'd be a tough commute for the other spring training teams. It's one of those, uh, I think that's the place in New Zealand that's like the fortress of the All Blacks. Like, they don't lose in Dunedin, I think. They don't yeah. lose anywhere because they're the All Blacks. They're the best in the world. But they really don't lose in, in Dunedin, I think. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, their, that's their place. Right. We know that. Of course. All Blacks. You in particular. All Blacks in Dunedin. That's it's famous. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get into some football discussion. This came up. Sam, every time we're evaluating prospects, you, we're talking about a guy and you're like, I, I don't know what to do with this. And often it's, it's either related to a guy that peaked his second to last season or a guy that just has one year of production. Which is even more irritating this year when, you know, 2020 opt-outs and, you know, more chaos than normal in terms of guys that have one year versus uh, a greater body of work. Right, so uh, we've got we have less data to work on, but uh, our guy Timo he did the the heavy lifting on the research end. Hmm. Um, he sent me the spreadsheet though, and then I conditionally formatted it and came up with some good stuff. Wow, you you yeah, huh. I'm just honest. Okay, just being honest. He's on the R and D team; that's his job. But yeah. Timo did a good job. We split this article up. Are we both are we both in the byline? Yeah, we are. Um, so it's at pff.com. Timo and Steve. Um, and he did the first half with a really nice looking scatter Steve plot. Steve sounds like one of those, uh, you know, radio nicknames. Timo you know, and like, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, welcome into the Timo and Steve show. Well, maybe you'll if be you just replaced. Hold on two minutes. You might be replaced soon. Timo and Steve will be on for you. Yeah, well, he's next up. If something right. happens to you. So Timo did the part with all the nice looking scatter plots and the whole thing. And then mine has some pretty bland tables mm. at the bottom part. Okay. Um, but again, we're trying to answer the question, what do you do when you have a guy that just has one year of production. So we went back, and, and we don't have a massive sample size of this because the NFL our, our data goes back to 2014. So we couldn't start until the 2016 NFL draft, right? Because we have 14 and 15 data, and we could see a guy that really peaked his last season. And we did that using our wins above average college metric. So because we can evaluate players, we can actually say, where did most of your wah come from don't say that wins above average no don't do that why waa no no no. how should i say it waa don't no so where did your waa wins above average come from see this is why it's a worse statistic than war because war becomes war but there's no replacement player you can't just go why in college so you have to use wins above average why is there no replacement player in college? because there's just disparity and surely you just drag some dude who's like you know number five on your uh listen the last scholarship we use wins above average that's the thing Mm. so we went through and we basically said guys that that picked up 90 percent of their career waa wins above average 90 percent or more in their final season we will classify as one-year wonders right so um we went through that and we said okay here are all your one-year wonders and then we went back and said which guys are the best in the nfl right now from these draft classes and then which percentage of those players are one-year wonders and i thought you know so again some of the results are intuitive some of them are back back you up some of them are actionable some of them them are not so basically the nfl has not one-year wonders in the trenches do not fare well in their first contract so basically if you see one year of production from an offensive lineman defensive lineman they're probably not going to be great in the nfl that's the 
in, in the in the NFL doesn't draft a whole lot of those guys. But guys on the perimeter, your tight ends or pass catchers in general, tight ends and receivers, corners and safeties, it's a lot higher hit rate. Would that surprise you, or does that kind of back up what you would assume? Um, I I don't think it banks up what I assumed, but I don't know that I'd assumed anything on the topic. Like I just I hadn't had. I never reached conclusions about what to do. It had never occurred to me that there was a positional difference between these one-season wonders. Um, I just hadn't actually reached conclusions about what to do with those guys. When you're saying that, have you looked beyond the first contract? Like, do those guys take longer to work out, or do they just not work out? No, because we, we've only <laughs> gone back to the 2016 draft class, so we don't have... So right. there's definitely... Look, the caveat to all of this is that there is more work to be done on this, right? Um, because we only have a small data set, so it's early. But I think the early returns do kind of make sense. Running backs have one of the highest hit rates. And it's so is that because – so that's like your Kenyon Drakes of the world. So I'll, I'll go through some of the examples, guys that, that did hit. Kenyon Drake was one of them. Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson. These are all guys that were pretty much part-time players in college or in Miles Sanders' case, playing behind a Saquon Barkley for a little that, bit. That, I think, must be a huge part of it, right? Uh, particularly skill position players where there's just this conveyor belt. Like a huge amount of your – a huge amount of guys in college, it's simply a case of you had to wait behind somebody, and behind like a qualified person, you know what I mean? Like somebody that was justifiably keeping you on the bench until you got your chance, and then – you went off for the one season that you got a shot at it, and then off you go to the NFL because why would you wait any longer even if you had the opportunity to? Whereas typically, I think with offensive linemen, it's you usually find a way of getting those guys on the field. Like even if you had to wait your turn to play left tackle maybe, you were playing right tackle or guard or whatever it is. So you have a, a broader body of work. You just had to wait to get on the field uh, at your preferred position. But if you're a running back, there's only one of those you know, two of the, whatever, there, there isn't five spots to find a way to get you on the field. It's like, no, you're, you're behind Najee Harris and you have to wait until he leaves to the NFL. There's but you're no, really, but you're still really good. Right. There's right. no like running back three who's also playing most of the snaps. You know, so, there's no version of right guard that we can stick you in for a couple of years. So you're saying, so, cause I came to a slightly different conclusion and part of it might be, okay, well these running backs, you know, they're fresher, right? We've talked about the NFL looks at, well, this guy just had 300 carries three straight years. I don't want that. I don't want that tread on the tires. It also doesn't necessarily, like if you have 900 carries versus a guy that has 200. We had an email by the way, somebody demanding that the tires metaphor generally got retired because everybody always screws it up. What tire? The tread on the tires versus wear, and it just everyone always gets it wrong. So we should just stop using. How did it. I? Did I just get it right? Oh, it's it's tough to tell. I couldn't quite work. I out probably what got it wrong. Saying, knowing knowing us, probably yeah. got it wrong. Um, anyway, running backs might not be overworked mm. in college and then fresh when they get to the NFL. But you're basically saying there's five offensive line spots. There's an eight man defensive line rotation yeah. in the in college. If you're not finding the field early, you're probably not good. Yeah, and the difference between that and wide receiver is that, yeah, okay, so there's four or five wide receivers that are playing a lot, but they're all fighting for targets. So all five offensive linemen are playing at the same time, doing effectively the same job. All five or all four defensive linemen, um, five if you're counting outside linebackers, pass rusher, et cetera, all those guys are all on the field, all essentially doing the same job. It doesn't matter. Like there's no – you're not – reliant on somebody else throwing you the ball to show that kind of production right whereas if you're wide receiver 
you might be on the field a lot, but if you're waiting behind two guys that are going to the first round, you're probably not going to have a high target share. Like think of Jalen Waddle, right? At one point, there's four first round wide receivers, including him on the field at the same time. Just because he's not getting all the targets doesn't mean he isn't really good. It just means that there's three other guys to share it around, and they got there first. Yeah, I want to. I'm. Go, I'm gonna. I want to go through some historical examples because that that makes sense to me. And the, the there's another Alabama example that's like the one outlier. Um, I want to go through some of the historical examples and then get into this draft class and what it means because of the opt out thing. There's so many. Jamar Chase technically counts in this study as a one season wonder as a one season wonder yeah. but uh, but there's but him and Panay Sewell obviously we would assume we'll talk about it in a second but the the thing that you just said about Alabama being deep the one hit for one year wonders on the defensive line or on the interior is Quinnen Williams hmm. he's the one guy that has performed well um, and again, we, we just said, do they perform above a certain level at their position? Maybe Quinnen Williams isn't living up to number three overall pick expectations, but he's been a very good NFL player. Yet. Yet. Still time. Um, but it's only Quinnen Williams on, on the defensive interior, and he did play on this loaded depth chart behind a bunch of really good players at Alabama. When he got a shot, he was always good. So that makes sense as an outlier. On the edge, the one outlier is, is kind of iffy, and it's Tyus Bowser who qualified for like the production standards that we said and said, hey, he's a hit. But even he's a part-time player and right. not necessarily that great. Some of the the misses on the defensive line, though, you've got uh, uh, Robert Kemdiche, Kemdiche, first rounder, probably one of the biggest. Uh, in recent memory. Yeah, that's a huge miss. He had one year of, he was a one-year wonder from a production standpoint. Jonathan Bullard from Florida. I was bullish on Bullard and completely wrong mm -hmm. about that. Uh, he has not panned out to become the run defender that I thought he would. Uh, Demarcus Walker out of Florida State, Eddie Vanderdose out of UCLA. Those are guys that were drafted in the top 100 that missed. Uh, on the edge, Ben Banigou from Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Now, now for some of these guys who have only played one or two years in the league, we had to kind of like project out their first year, their first contract. So, but there's just not a whole lot of hit. Caleb on Chasons, the other. He's the most high-profile edge defender. That is still to be determined, but he's on pace to miss. He's on pace to miss. So Caleb on chase on was a risky first round pick last year. And we said that last year at this time because he fits this one year wonder bill. On the mm -hmm. offensive line, the only two hits in top uh, out of top 100 picks, Colt center Ryan Kelly and Bill's offensive tackle Deion Dawkins. And Kelly had one of the biggest jumps forward his final year at Alabama. How many... How many players even qualify as essentially like one hit wonder offensive linemen? Like how many how many players does that even how many players even fit that profile of guys that only really had one year of production on, on the offensive line? I didn't see all of them. I just know there's a lot of like late rounders and everything. Right. There's only been there's been eight top one hundred picks. Yeah. So um, that's so, what I mean. Like that kind of backs up what we were saying earlier, right? If you if you can't find the field as an offensive lineman earlier in your college career. It in and of itself is kind of a red flag. And some of those O-line misses include Jason Spriggs, Cody Ford from Oklahoma, who still has a chance. Now, he's he's that kind of prime candidate. He's heading into year three, has underperformed. If you're a smart team and you could steal him from the Bills or the Bills would just be smart to just keep him there, Cody Ford could have a breakout year. It's right. year three. Alternatively, Jerron, they could be looking to draft his replacement. In they like could also be looking week. to draft Elijah Vera Tucker or something. Uh, Jerron Christian and Martinez Rankin. They were top 100 picks, but they weren't like egregious misses. Yeah. Um, but when you're looking at the top 100, the most common 
one-year wonder position to be drafted is corner, and it's got a 50% hit rate, including Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah. Tight end had the, the highest hit rate was tight end, running back, and linebacker, but tight end had 10 top 100 picks, and six of those guys hit. So that's like your Mike Gusecki's of the world. So again, it's you know the t- David Njoku technically qualifies as a hit, but he's been disappointing as a first rounder. You can find at least a quality tight end if he only has one year of production. Yeah, which again I think kind of makes sense in that if you're, it takes a while for any offense to essentially come around to the notion that a tight end is like a major impact player for them in college. You need to be you need you need to show a lot to get to the point where you're going to be fed as a you know real focal point of that offense so it kind of makes sense that that only happens right at the you know right towards the end of their career and then they're out to the nfl so cornerback is definitely one of the most interesting positions because it was six out of 12 hits some of the hits though again it's like this did they hit above a certain threshold they're still somewhat disappointing akella withers uh, marshawn Lattimore is the star but Akello Witherspoon, Dante Jackson, Eli Apple, and Rasul Douglas became reasonable players. You would argue that Eli Apple underperformed his draft position. Mm-hmm. Dante Jackson has been pretty good. Akello Witherspoon had one good year so far. Rasul Douglas has been up and down. The most notable misses, though, our guy Josh Jackson from Iowa, who had that one yeah. incredible season, went to the went in the second round. Yeah, right. That's a oh. and if we had this is one of those people say, okay, what what are your hits and misses? Look back. If we went back, we might say, okay, maybe we've overrated this one year. And this data would say that. And the, the thing that Timo did in the article at the top, so I went position by position. Timo looked at it from a macro view. The macro view is that one-year wonders generally don't hit their ceiling as often. So it is inherently risker, riskier hmm. to go with a one-year wonder. Well, that's certainly intuitive. Yeah. And that, and that, it is intuitive, but it's it's nice to see the data because yeah, yeah. it's you could easily skew in your head. You could just go. We'll talk about QBs in a second too. You could just go, hey, Kyler Murray hit, Marshawn Lattimore hit, and you just go through all the hits and then forget. Okay, over time, it is, it is riskier. Uh, Mike Hughes also fits the bill as a miss in yeah. the one year wonder category, and then Damon Arnett, last year's Raiders first rounder. It's only one year in, yeah, but we had to, you know. Projected out for four years. I mean, I'm willing to park any analysis on Arnett based off his rookie year. Like, the dude, he hasn't had a fair shot yet. Um, Receiver is probably the place where you can get the most stars. DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin both qualified as one-year wonders, as did Brandon Ayuk and Chase Claypool. Mm -hmm. So, So Ayuk is a perfect example, right? Because he essentially was waiting his turn behind Nikhil Harry at Arizona State. And even the year that Nikhil Harry was going in the first round, you put on the tape and it's like, Brandon Ayuk kind of looks better, but Nikhil Harry was the focal point of the offense. So everything was running through him. And only when he disappears off to the NFL does Ayuk step into that role where he can now become the focal point and break out. You can, so I think you can look at it and say, if a guy demands the bigger role earlier in his career and and is dominant earlier because of that that is definitely a good thing right so jamar chase essentially being the number one target even when a justin jefferson was there as well that can only be a good thing for jamar chase but if he wasn't able to do that i don't think it works necessarily in reverse that you can say well he wasn't able to be the number one guy when there was somebody else in front of him therefore he sucks or he's not going to be good I think it's sort of 
it's only ever a bonus that somebody can do that. You shouldn't necessarily criticize them for not being able to do it because it isn't necessarily within their control. All right, let's talk quarterbacks here. So the, the, there's two ways I looked at this from a quarterback position. I said since 2016, drafted quarterback, there's, a, there's, there's 11 quarterbacks who have become quote-unquote top players that have been at the above this um, – above actually four wins above replacement since that, since that time. Pretty good threshold. Um, only two of them have been one-year wonders, and that is Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones. They both fit the hit category in this in this study. The misses are um, out of the top 100 picks: Mitchell Trubisky, mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins, and then Drew Locke, who again technically qualified here, but he was he was a little different, right? Because he was a one-year wonder because he was just so bad early in his career, <laughs> and then his last year. Re- brought him up from a wins above average standpoint the real heart of this thing was to try to say what do i do with kyler murray who came out of nowhere and started one year mitchell trubisky and dwayne haskins there's not enough information here right but it is interesting just to say so you would never say like don't give me that quarterback with one year production those were the guys those were the guys that always scared teams right there was this it was it used to be a much stronger narrative than it is now but like don't ever don't go near quarterbacks that don't have like whatever it is 35 starts in college right like a bunch of teams used to have a number and if you're below that number of starts i'm not even interested um that seems to have gone away more recently i think probably as teams have just gotten better at understanding like psychological makeup i think that was the big issue is that people like jamarcus russell had a low number of college starts jamarcus russell bombed out and it's like well we have to stay away from those guys now yeah, but he didn't bomb because he only had X number of college starts. He bombed because like, he wasn't interested in doing work. Like, you know, Bruce tells that story of how they sent him home with tapes <laughs> yeah. that didn't have anything on it. And we're like, hey, study this blitz package for next week. He comes back in. And it's like, hey, did you, did you watch the tapes? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I watched them. Blank tapes, there's nothing on them. Like, that's why he failed. He didn't, like, it had nothing to do with the number of college starts he had. But I think... Similar to the Pittsburgh running back thing, you know, teams just took the wrong piece of the wrong conclusion from the available data and for a period shied away from those low sample size guys. Do you want to get we had an incredible email analogy. Can you dig that up? The day the frog one? Yeah, Uh, it was something like um, scientists took a frog, cut off its front legs and then asked the frog to jump. The frog didn't jump. Uh, and therefore, scientists concluded that when you remove a frog's front legs, they become deaf. <laughs> I thought it was great. It's, I mean, yeah. he, was, he was equating that to like, if you're trying to rebuild your running game and you're, I've concluded the running back is what I need. It is, you know, is like the, the frog analogy, which I think is great. So all this research, which I think is, which is fun. And, it, and I think there's some actionable advice here for NFL teams. But how does it apply to this draft class? Because there are three quarterbacks that classify as one-year wonders in this class. One of whom is Mac Jones. Mac Jones is one. Now, the other one is Felipe, Felipe Franks for the same reason that Drew Locke classified as a one-year wonder. He was bad for the majority <laughs> of his career, and then he got better his last year. And then Jamie Newman, who was an opt-out and only has the one year of production. We'll talk about the opt-outs in a minute. But Mac Jones, not an opt-out, had just has one year of production. He classifies as a one-year wonder. So Mac Jones is in this Kyler Murray, Mitchell Trubisky, Dwayne Haskins bucket, which is only 33% hit rate so far, Sam. Mm. 
And, and by the way, I said Daniel Jones classified in the one-year wonder too. It's because he underperformed for two years and then had a good final season. So Daniel Jones is closer to like a Drew Locke who played and then got better. But it's the Murray, Trubisky, Haskins group where they had one exceptional final season, one really good final season. Is is that a is, should that be a black mark against Mac Jones in the analysis process here? Yeah, again, I don't I don't think it should be because there's logic to it, right? He's sitting. It's like um, Kyler Murray was sitting behind Baker Mayfield, who was one of the greatest college quarterbacks to ever play. So that made sense, right? He only had one year of opportunity to show that he could do anything different. Mac Jones was sitting behind Tua, who wasn't quite at that level, but was a top five pick uh, in the NFL draft. <clears throat> so again, Mac Jones only had the one opportunity to go out there, show what he could do, and when he did, he was really good. I, I, I find it difficult to, I, I think it's, it's similar to the wide receiver thing. It's like, it shouldn't, it, it's definitely, uh, it should concern you, but only because you're lacking sample size. You're lacking data. You haven't seen multiple years of this guy. You just feel more comfortable when you have a Baker Mayfield-like resume versus a guy that's got one season. So Baker and Kyler is a perfect example, right? Both guys, number one overall pick, same program, followed each other. One guy, you just have such a, a more, um, you're such a, such a better resume that you're comfortable with because it's just, it's Baker basically had the perfect NFL prospect resume. Multiple seasons of elite play, incredible accuracy, um, everything you want to see. Kyler Murray had essentially the same thing just for one year. So what do you do with that? I think you should inherently be a little bit more twitchy about the guy with one year, but only because you don't know. Next year could have been worse. Next year could have been just as good. It could have been better. Um, so I feel that way with Mac Jones. I don't think it should be, well, that's a real red flag. We've got to be concerned about that. It's just you should at least be aware of what that does to sample size questions. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the way to approach it. So again, it's nothing definitive, but you know, it's a, anytime you're looking at one year, of course the sample is right. going to be smaller. There is a question in the YouTube chat: Was Joe Burrow a one-year wonder? And by this by this particular study, he was not. Right? He was not just from a percentage standpoint. He was still pretty good in 2019, uh, 2018, and then was outstanding in 2019. But it honestly it depends on how you how you sort it out. If you were just looking at the quarterbacks who took the biggest jump year to year, not percent, just in raw number, uh, from in wins above average, it would be Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow. So there's a, right. there's a way to parse this out where where that looks like Joe Burrow is a one year wonder, but the way we just happen to sort it, he he misses it. Um, as far as other one year wonder quarterbacks, you've got Jacob Eason was the biggest Danny Etling because again he was so bad and then like somewhat reasonable the last time he played uh Daniel Jones Cardell Jones Drew Locke Jeff Driscoll the same thing as Felipe Frank here bad at Florida for a few years and then pretty good elsewhere uh Mitchell Trubisky Kyler Murray Dwayne Haskins Nate Sudfeld Ben DiNucci and Gardner Minshew all fits the one-year wonder category for quarterbacks um so how as far as the opt-outs go, do we even apply this analysis to opt-outs? At least the, the, the high-end ones. Because Jamar, Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, Caleb Farley. 
and Gregory Rousseau. All guys with first, borderline, you know, second round grade for Rousseau, but you know, pretty much first round caliber talents. We would have to assume all of these guys would have played football this year and probably would have been pretty good in college football that they would not qualify for this list, right? Yeah. So do we even yes, there's less data to go off of. Maybe it hurts their potential ceiling just because you have less information to go off of. But this shouldn't even apply to opt-outs, essentially, right? Eh, I think it should. I mean, the point is, it's. I think a big part of this is the sample size question. It's just we don't know what an extra year of play does for these guys. And if you only have the one year, part of the whole dynamic of this is play for everybody fluctuates year to year. Even great players can have bad years one year. They can have great years the following year. There's no necessarily rhyme or reason to it. So if we're saying that the scary thing about a lot of these players, it's not even that they were at fault anywhere. It's just that we missed out on a year worth of data or two years of data or whatever. We missed out on extra years of data on these guys to have a greater degree of comfort. For the opt-outs, the same thing is true. It's a different reason, but the result is the same. It's we missed out on an extra year view to feel more reassured about what you're going to be as a player going forward. So I, I think you have to hold them to the same standard because the result is exactly the same. And, and if we're going to, man, I, but I think the reason why some of these guys were one-year wonders are the reasons that we talked about before, which is a lot of them, some of them had a great player in front of them, fine, mm -hmm. but a lot of them didn't. And they just weren't good enough to get on the field. Therefore, And then when they did, they took a big step forward and great. And that might be a part of the reason why their potential was, was not there. These guys didn't see the field simply because of the pandemic. So the, the, it was just, it's a completely different reason. Jamar Chase would have been on the field probably dominating with a lesser quarterback, but you know he still would have been a good player. Panay Sewell probably would have been good, right? Joe Tryon, Gregory Russo. There were, there's a bunch of guys who probably would have been good. Jamie Newman, we would have learned a lot of stuff about if he played at Georgia. Um, but I think the high-end players, I would kind of push it aside a little bit. It's a weird... I mean, I would too, but I would do the same if a, we do the same thing for a high-end player that only had one year because he was sitting behind somebody for the whole way. Like, that's the point, right? I think if you're looking, if you're doing the study, you do the study, and then you parse out later on what it means and where you can start throwing exceptions and what you can rule out or change or whatever but you have to treat it the same way because it's the same data point anyway if you go to pff.com check it out i think it's it's an interesting way to just look at player evaluation the one name i just want to bring up before we get on to uh building around your quarterback the one name i want to bring up is jalen phillips from miami because we like him we like him as a first rounder we've talked about the concussion stuff he's quit football before because of it He's one of the bigger question marks in the first round, under under a thousand career snaps, and because of all that, he's a he's in this one year wonder category. And as I mentioned before, edge defenders, interior defensive linemen, don't come out of this study all that well. You don't see this often. But then Phillips is like your former five star. Sometimes you get a five, five star late blooming type, mm -hmm. Lorenzo Carter from Georgia. I mean that happens. Would this be another? As you're trying to sort out those top five or six edge defenders, does this raise some alarm uh, alarms for Jalen Phillips of Miami? Yeah, um, and I think in another year, it would be a thing that drops him a lot compared with other people. But 
they're all like this this year. Like this year, the entire draft is just chaos. There's just almost nobody with that great big body of work that you can look at and say, all right, there's a guy we can be comfortable with because he's got all these seasons of high-end play getting better each year. They're, they're almost all with, they're almost all either one-year wonders or have some other massive red flag. So he's just, teams drafting an edge rusher like low in the mid, mid to low first round it's just going to be a case of which is your favorite gamble to take. Do you want to gamble on the one-season wonder with the concussion issues, who was a former five-star and was dominant when he played? Do you want to gamble on a different guy that's only got a, a low sample size but you know cleaner medically or whatever it is? You're just going to be rolling the dice on the guy that you like as the cleanest prospect. I don't want to gamble on anybody, but then, yeah. Then don't take an edge rusher this year. <clears throat> that could be, yeah, you're right. All, every edge has one of these you know risky factors to them but anyway go to pff.com check it out um by the way if you like fantasy football and you like playing fantasy for money you need to check out underdog fantasy underdog's got everything including season long and playoff best ball best ball is a season long game where you draft a team like you normally do but that's it there's no in-season roster management underdog automatically selects your best performers each week saving you loads of time go to underdog fantasy deposit just 10 bucks using the promo code pff and you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. All right, the other the other thing I've been uh, deep researching is the best way to build around your quarterback. And, and I think this is one of the biggest stories of the draft. I know we talked on the PFF daily about the biggest stories of the draft, and I always go back to Shanahan and Belichick and their QB decision. But the other huge one is the the building process around these quarterbacks. We know how important it is. We just saw Josh Allen have a year three breakout, which coincided with his best supporting cast. So it made me want to go back, and we preach all the time here about just get your offensive line to reasonable. Just creep back toward average and load up on receivers. And I, I was wondering if that's actually the thing that has pointed to the most success. And it hasn't actually been that. It's been a pretty evenly balanced offense. Does that surprise you at all? I'll, I'll, I'll explain my findings in a minute, but would that surprise you if I said you got to be equally good along the offensive line as you do with your pass catchers? Not hugely. I mean, I, I think what having a young quarterback on a rookie contract, the you know, the goal, the dream, having a great quarterback on a cheap deal, I think what that does is just give you a greater amount of money to spread evenly throughout your roster, which is what most teams are trying to do anyway. There are very, there aren't that many teams that are deliberately skewing their roster construction in one particular direction or other. Like everybody I think is generally trying to construct this well-balanced roster across the board. And when you get that cheap rookie quarterback, all it does is increase your margin for error and the money you can spend everywhere. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that that results in like a fairly well-balanced team for those teams. So <clears throat> here's what we did. And, and I want to I point this toward you know, the Bengals' decision, the Jaguars and what they're going to do around Trevor Lawrence, the Jets, is presumably around Zach Wilson. Um, and then maybe answer the question, that the thing that you keep saying, Justin Fields, everywhere that he could potentially go looks good. Yeah. Right? Justin, and Mac Jones. And Trey Lance. A lot of their situations look good unless the Lions pick them. There's a lot of good situations out there, right? So 
Um, this is going to dictate who has early success. So I went back to 2014, guys that have been drafted since since that season, and I looked at all of the best rookie contract quarterback seasons and then tried to figure out, okay, where did their pass blocking rank in PFF grades? Where did their run blocking rank? And where did their receiving grade rank? So, of course, Patrick Mahomes has the three most productive seasons in that group. And then it's last year. And then it's 2019 Lamar Jackson, his MVP year. And then last year's uh, Josh Allen, Bill season. So I went back and I said, all of the very best rookie contract seasons, where did that team rank from a pass blocking, run blocking, receiving standpoint? It was 11th for all of them across the board. The average rank for those teams was 11th pass blocking, run blocking, and receiving. So in other words, if you're trying to build a good offense around your rookie quarterback, it's not that it has to be 11th across the board. It's just that there's no there's no perfect, well, if you just get to 15th in pass blocking and then you get top five receiving, that's the formula. There's no perfect formula, but I was surprised to see that it was pretty even across the board. Yeah. Um, one of the like most underrated stories might be that of all the quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round, Trevor Lawrence may end up in by far the worst situation of any of them. You like, think so, though? Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. Who even come close? Comes close. The Jets. The Jets come close, and they have a better receiving core. That offensive line has a real shot to be better. Like if they fix right tackle, I think the I think the Jets are worse than the Jags, man. Are they? How are they worse? I like the Jags receivers. Which ones? DJ Chark. DJ Chark. Lavisca okay. Chenault. Yeah. I like Marvin Jones way more than you do. Yeah. That's a really nice addition. And then I'm assuming they're going to grab one. That's why I keep trying to grab one late first, early right. second. But the Jets have Hall of Famer Corey Davis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Denzel using Mims. my own arguments against Who hasn't me played, like, properly yet. Who Gen do you like better, Denzel Mims or Marvin Jones? I like Denzel Mims' potential more than Marvin Jones. Uh, Jameson Crowder, who's good, like, legitimately good. Um, could he still get cut? It's worth $14 million. I mean, he could, but if you're adding a rookie quarterback and want him to be good right away, why would you? Jameson Crowder's fantastic. I mean, he could be their Cole Beasley in the Josh Allen equation. They there. added Keelan Cole. Like, they've got some players. Yeah, Keelan Cole's solid. Former Jaguar. Could have had him. Keelan Cole's an underrated route runner. Gets open. Um, but I think the offensive line does need some work in Jacksonville. And that could be the thing. I think that holds them down more than the receiving core. I have yeah. tight ends poor as well. But yeah, it's fair. I mean, I, I think it's close as far as the Jags and the Jets. Um, so the other thing I looked at was how many of those top quarterback seasons had a top 10 pass blocking team or a top 10 run blocking team or a top 10 receiving team um out of however many seasons i looked at it was oh 21 mm -hmm. uh no it was a little bit more than that but i'd say 48 percent of them the high had a top 10 pass blocking team and it was only 38 percent top 10 run blocking top 10 receiving so most of the seasons had a really good pass blocking team uh also interesting patrick mahomes in his three full seasons has never had i know i know we're coming off the super bowl and everything you know fell apart he's never had a pass blocking unit ranked below 12th and he's never had a receiving unit ranked below seventh yeah and his run blocking has consistently a team has been 16 16 and 15 like very very much right in the middle of the pack um the one thing i'll say though too is that run EPA, so just production in the run game, has been all over the place. There's been good teams. There's been bad teams. I looked at run blocking just because it's tied to offensive line. And I want to pair this back to that Bengals, Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase decision. 
because I think I might be leaning more Panay Sewell in that equation. Hmm. I, I, and then I want to, I'll get to that in a second. The bottom though, here's where the receiver, because again, we always talk about stock up receivers. If you're, ha- if you're going to have a disastrous season with your quarterback, what do you think would fall apart? What do you think would fall, be the worst part of your team? You would assume it's the offensive line, right? But the average rank for the worst seasons was actually the receiving core. Yeah. Ranked average 26th in the worst seasons, whereas the, the worst pass blocking unit was 19th. So it's not the pass blocking that's going to lead to your Jared. I mean, Jared Goff 2016 was horrible across the board. But there are examples of young quarterbacks that had good pass protection and they were terrible offenses. So it's always trying to find that. It comes back to just have a balanced offense across the board. Yeah. Um, for for the Bengals in particular, though, it's like, the thing is you're only making one addition with this pick, right? Like the, the choice of Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase, which is the one everybody's making. Like people want to throw Kyle Pitts into that discussion as well. I think Kyle Pitts is going at four. So to me, it's not he's not going to be an option for them. It's going to be Chase versus Sewell. And I, you can only, like, that decision is only one addition. So it's not like it's not a referendum on would you prefer pass blocking or receiving in a vacuum because it isn't. Like it's would you prefer to make one addition to a receiving core or one addition to your offensive line knowing that you're going to have a second round pick coming up and knowing what you already have on the on each unit as well which one is A a superior player and B moves the needle more. And Burrow I think also complicates the discussion because if you have a bad pass blocking unit, um, I think that will harm a young quarterback more than it harms a veteran quarterback because the biggest thing that young quarterbacks struggle with early in the NFL is getting rid of the ball quickly. It's holding onto the ball too long, essentially. That's where the speed adjustment takes time to work. So those guys hold on the ball a couple of tens longer than usual, and that allows pressure to get home that wouldn't against a better uh, more experienced veteran quarterback but Burrow is already pretty good at that like Burrow right out of the gate it was pretty quick at getting rid of the football generally compared to rookie quarterbacks so if you're I mean obviously it didn't matter like in the end the pressure was so great he got buried and his knee got torn to pieces but generally if you're looking at this and saying well the numbers skew towards rookie quarterbacks needing pass protection a little bit more I don't know that Joe Burrow is as needy as some of these other guys. Um, And then what that also suggests is that Burrow is really good compared to your average rookie quarterback at processing and just getting rid of the ball, getting it to receivers that can, once the ball's out of his hands, the pressure stops. So if you give Burrow an elite receiver that can get open, it would move the needle more than, again, a, a typical rookie quarterback who is struggling generally Uh, to get to process to get rid of the ball to find the open guy and to get rid of it so what I'm saying is that if whatever the general balance is between pass protection and uh, receiving either one of those affects the same dynamic from different directions Burrow I think is not in the center of that tipping point he is somewhere else towards I think the receiving end which changes how you like if you had that perfectly balanced on a scales Burrow would tip the scales in one direction Toward receiving. Yes. Just because you think he can process a little bit better and take compared, advantage of yeah, the open compared receivers. Compared with 
your average young quarterback at See, that position. It is fascinating that you're going to make that dis- that distinction after he got injured, hmm. right? And, and this is, to me, that's the emotional aspect of this. Right. And what I'm not that s- is like triggering too many of the yes. got to draft Penesul takes. And the important thing is, again, like I'm not saying don't fix his offensive line, right? <laughs> like the offensive line was terrible last year, and it was inevitably going to cause him problems and get him hurt, and it did. So I'm not saying don't address it, like don't leave it as a wreckage around him and have it being the thing that destroys him multiple years in a row. I'm just saying that it, in a choice between two elite players at one specific spot in the draft, that might lean me towards the receiver over the pass blocker. I'm not saying do not address the offensive line. I'm just saying maybe wait until the second round. Yeah, so the thing I keep coming back to is um, Deshaun Watson and some of his development. So he's you know, he's one of the guys that had to have his pass protection get better over time. So he Watson's always been a good quarterback, but in this particular study, we've seen his offensive line get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And while we trashed the Laramie Tunsil trade, rightfully so, they gave up too much and didn't sign him before the deal and overpaid him and what have you. Because the Texans' left tackle situation was so bad, Laramie Tunsil, in this creep back toward average world that we are pushing here, Laramie Tunsil almost single-handedly got the Texans back to average because they were coming from such a position of weakness. Yeah, Julian Davenport was the previous starter. Laramie Tunsil steps in and gives up a third of the pressures. If you have one position giving up a third of the pressures, you're already going from worst to maybe 20th in the league, make a couple tweaks there, and then you're good. Watson's season last year, they had a t- it, which was his best season, and one of the one of the one of the seasons that qualified as productive here, he, they had the number 8 pass blocking team, and they were and they were worst in run blocking, but they were 6th in receiving. So they had the pass blocking, had the receiving, they were good. Watson's 2017 his um you know, his rookie season actually qualified too, and they had the, the worst pass blocking grade, and they still qualified for this good seat, what I would consider a productive season. Um, so there's different ways to do it, but I, I but the, the point is the one player on the offensive line, if you're coming from a position of weakness, does make a difference. But the counterpoint to that is that Cincinnati doesn't really have, the, they don't have the weak link that can make that kind of seismic leap at the position that Panay Sewell would help fix, Right. So their best pass blocker last year was Jonah Williams, the guy that played left tackle. Now, okay, Jonah Williams won't be playing left tackle. He will go somewhere else and make that position better. So the upgrade from Jonah Williams to Panay Sewell in year one may be significant, but it's not going to be what you're talking about, this seismic shift that changes everything. The other one is um, you know, Dwayne Brown going to Seattle and immediately upgrading that left tackle spot hugely, just changed everything. But... Cincinnati's pressure last year when you look at it actually came from everywhere and that was the problem it's that it wasn't one weak link in a chain it was that every link in the chain is a weak link and when you pull on the thing the whole thing just disintegrates so you now have to project all right Penezul comes in that's not a monster upgrade at left tackle but is Jonah Williams playing left guard or right tackle a massive upgrade and you're like maybe but probably not like Bobby Hart is a bad right tackle but there were four players on that offensive line that had a worse pass blocking grade than Bobby Hart did last season. So if he goes to right tackle, will it make a seismic shift? Probably not. Like 
the difference between Jonah and Bobby Hart is the difference between a 61 pass blocking grade and a 76 and the same or 20 pressures to 44 pressures it's decent but it's not that seismic shift you're talking about the biggest move they could make is if Jonah go kicks into like left guard right and now you're changing a pretty catastrophic situation at guard for what you would assume is a reasonable situation at guard but that's the difference between again like 40 pressures and 20 pressures like it's one a game is that is that the seismic shift we're talking about with Houston and Seattle I would argue it isn't it's not as seismic it's not I mean my biggest issue with this whole thing is I know it's it's short-term thinking I just don't know who plays guard in the Penesul Jonah Williams right. Riley Reef equation I just don't know who would be but best fit there even whoever it is I don't know that they can make the same level of impact on the offensive line that the guys you're, no, you're talking about did <clears throat> your point strong which is the issue right it's like it's they don't have the capacity for that one pick to make the kind of impact that people are expecting it to have like this so mike greenberg put together this video that was like here you have to draft the offensive lineman and here's why now why mike greenberg is like pivoted from host to like arbiter of statistics and data is beyond me but let's leave that aside for the moment he had this whole thing like done up and it was like all this data that says you know offensive line is really important like okay sure granted but we're not talking about that like we're not talking we're talking about one specific player like if you told me that would you rather for joe burrow next season me snap my fingers and he has a top 10 offensive line or snap my fingers and he has a top 10 receiving core that's the argument he was essentially making with his data bank of numbers but that's not what the decision is they're making the decision is which single player that will have a percentage impact on what you're trying to achieve will you take at number five overall knowing that you can take another guy in 30 odd but you're not solving the entire equation in one you're solving a small percentage of it and you're going to have the chance to redo it around later with worse players right so that it's it's immeasurably more complex than he was trying to make it out to be well i've tried to simplify it in my little spreadsheet here but i could research that too i could look through all these seasons in a minute and look at who has which rookie quarterbacks have actually had a top 10 pass blocking and run blocking offensive line in this era the point i wanted to make though is i used these three arbitrary numbers pass block run block and receiving and they all ended up at hey 11th they all average rank was 11th in good rookie quarterback seasons does Panay Sewell help the run blocking as well? So as much as we... I think he know, probably helps it more than he helps the pass blocking. Right. So does that become a part of the, the equation again? So it's not you need to build a run game around your quarterback. However, I'm going to continue to view the run game as another option in trying to win football games, mm-hmm. right? When your pass game is taken away, you'd like to be able to run it efficiently. Or if you're going to run it, because NFL teams still do it three to 400 times, you'd rather be good at it than not good at it. Panay Sewell does add quite an element right there. Last year, Joe Burrow, this was, uh, where is it? This was his situation. They had the 27th pass blocking unit, 22nd run blocking unit, and 22nd receiving unit. 27, 22, and 22. Mm -hmm. If you could raise the pass blocking and run blocking in one pick, but also more picks, do you make that move, that's your O-lineman, versus maybe turning that receiving core into a top 10 unit with Chase, yeah. T. Higgins, Look, and Tyler Boyd. It absolutely helps. It, it's it's a positive thing that Panay brings to the table. To me, this whole thing, everybody wants to have this really strong take. 
you must draft the offensive lineman. Hashtag Mike Greenberg. You know, and other people like they're crazy if they do anything other than add Jamar. Like to me, it's like a it's a coin toss. It's a it's a you can construct an argument. It's so nuanced. It's absurd, right? Like we're spending 10, 15 minutes talking about this and not coming to a conclusion. You can there's so many different strands to this, and it is so complex, and none of them are clear cut. Uh-oh. Like you have to identify the percentage that what that one player can make to overhauling an entire offensive line that needs to be fixed. You have to uh, calculate how much that player is better than the guy you can get around later to address the same problem. You then have to calculate the difference between that and the receiver and how much Joe Burrow affects that balance in and of himself, like just individually, plus the connection that Joe Burrow already has with Jamar Chase. It is like mind-bendingly complex, the different data points that you need to calculate to even have an idea about which way to go in this pick. And ultimately, you're probably coming down to like 52-48. Like, it's an edge in one direction. Yeah, nothing's definitive. It's not, that doesn't But even if you got it right, like even if you, even if you had a way, which you don't, nobody does, of literally calculating every one of these individual variables in this pick, it's probably going to shake out to like 52-48, one direction, right? So ultimately... The Bengals just have to decide, like, which one of these things do we think is slightly more important than the other? Do we value the guy that will make a bigger impact as a pass blocker to help the quarterback that has a giant scar running down his knee and hope that doesn't happen again? Oh, you don't or, get the emotional aspect of but it. That's going to be part of it. Or do we value the fact that this dude has a connection with the best receiver that college football has seen for, you know, in a while and pair him with his favorite target? Like, I don't. My, I keep coming back to this idea that I don't think they're wrong either way. Like You can make a compelling case in either direction and just pick one. What if I want to make, I'm going to help Greenberg's argument here. Okay, now assuming, your whole point is picking Panay Sewell doesn't assure you of a top 10 offensive line, obviously. So it's, that's why it's not as cut and dry. However, if you could choose a, an offensive line, I just sorted it by this, mm-hmm. that ranks in the top 10 in pass blocking and run blocking. Of, that's happened uh, 11 times on these rookie quarterbacks. And eight of those 11 times, uh, let's see, let's say seven of those 11 times, the team has had a really productive offense using EPA, um, well above, ab- above the average, okay? Here are those seasons. Lamar Jackson in 2019, the MVP year, and last year. Jared Goff, 2018, when they went to the Super Bowl with the Rams. Dak in 2019 his career season before uh yeah his career year from a production standpoint Wentz in 2017 mm-hmm. went to the super bowl baker mayfield last year his best uh his team's best season with the browns maybe not baker's best season Derek carr in 2016 that was his breakout year before he kind of tapered off a little bit mitch trubisky 2018 the year where he was elevated beyond belief statistically um, all those seasons were above average and good. The seasons that weren't all that great, Wentz in 2018 with the Eagles, ironically, and then Jared Goff last year, and then Carson Wentz in 2019. So Wentz has had this situation three different times. One time led to that Super Bowl caliber season. And in all of those years, Goff also had the number one receiving grade in 2018, but everything else, the receiving grade was much lower. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? You know what the common theme, though, is there? What's that? Those offensive lines are either stocked full of pro bowlers or they're operating within a system that we know inflates everything across the board or a combination of both. Now, you need to explain to me 
for that to be your strategy or a reason for this pick, you need to draw a line from me between selecting Panay Sewell at number five overall and that eventuality. Where am I getting three or four pro bowlers from or a system that is going to inflate everything and make everything look better by selecting Sewell at number five over Chase? Okay, my own counterpoint. <laughs> Here are the 13 times one of these quarterbacks has had the highest graded receiving unit. And they've had, and it's 11 out of 13 times they have had, say, an above average good productive offense. And it even extends further. So a good receiving, if you know that you're going to get a good group of receivers that were productive, that might lead to a more productive season. This is why it is it it's, is a fascinating it's a discussion. It's a coin flip. I mean, it's it's where you keep coming back. Anybody, that's, anybody that is making the argument that you should definitively, absolutely, unequivocally, without any argument, go one direction or the other is an idiot. And by the way, I'm, I'm, look, I'm using EPA because the goal, the goal of all this is to not put up a PFF grade at quarterback. It's not to put up uh, yards per attempt. It's just, it's just to have the most efficient offense. That's the baseline I'm trying to, to figure out here. So this is how the most efficient offenses have been constructed. Um, I, the other thing I wanted to point out, so the team, there are, let's see here, how many instances? There's a few instances where a team had a top 10 pass blocking grade and the offense was still bad. Baker Mayfield, 2018. Derek Carr, again in 2017. Josh Allen, I'm sorry, yeah, Derek Carr in 15, and Derek Carr in 14. So Derek Carr's first four seasons, he had a top 10 pass-blocking offensive line. So let's use Derek Carr as a, as a proxy here, right? So if you're saying Joe Burrow, and let's, let's bring Trevor Lawrence into this and Zach Wilson, if you say the most important thing is to protect our quarterback. If you give him an offensive line, everything else will fall into place. Derek Carr would be the cautionary tale because the first four years of his career, top 10 pass-blocking offensive line. Now, the run-blocking was pretty bad. It lacked balance. The receiving grade was bad, and the offense as a whole was completely unproductive until the 2016, in that whole mix, just the 2016 season was the only time Carr and those guys figured it out, and that's when the line was more well-rounded receiving core was better and Carr actually had a good year i just love this as a as a study so if you are so all that said what are you doing if you're the bengals flipping a coin still flipping a coin i mean look i i have said that based off all of this talking it out and working it out and figuring out where i lie on all the numbers i would lean chase over sewell but like if like if i'm the dude making the decision in the room and i had three guys hammering the table for Sewell hard and two guys hammering it for Chase I could be persuaded like I'm not I, I, I genuinely think this is basically a coin flip you're not wrong in either direction if it's me making the decision on my own I would lean towards Chase but I'm not telling anybody that does it the other way that it's wrong and I, again I think that anyone making declarative like obvious no-brainer statements about it is just a moron because it isn't it's clearly more complicated than that all right, I have some more fun ways to look at this thing. Oh, God. If I use the average rank, the worst average rank of those units, pass blocking, run blocking, and receiving, the worst average rank was last year, Sam Darnold with the Jets. So mm -hmm. Sam Darnold's last season, by this way of looking at it, had the worst supporting cast of any recent rookie quarterback. Right below him is Daniel Jones last year with the Giants. Jared Goff's rookie season, 2016, when he was terrible, third worst. Here's the, here's the name that's intriguing to me. 
2019 Gardner Minshew has by this number, by these numbers, the fourth worst supporting cast. He also has the seventh worst supporting cast. Gardner Minshew has played good football mm. with a terrible supporting cast for two years. Yeah, which we already knew. Which we did know, but like when you see it in perspective, right? It's like we 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 sit here and say we're making excuses for Daniel Jones. We're making excuses for people make excuses for Sam Darnold. Uh, last year, Carson Wentz excuses have been made. Mitchell Trubisky, since he's on this list for 2019, excuses have been made for him too. If if you were a believer in Trubisky, some team should absolutely be taking a flyer on Gardner Minshew. As what though? Just to get him in the building in case you have to start him. There's there could be something way more there than anything else has. Uh, than uh, say like if you're the Bears, I don't know like, why are the Bears better off with Andy Dalton or the it's still Gardner Minshew still a lottery ticket. That's the bottom line. He's still a lottery ticket. I don't know that he is. I mean the problem the I, guy I, the has reason, elevated to terrible situations. Did he though? I mean the Jags yes. had the number one overall pick. How much did he elevate it? He didn't play the whole season. They had Jake Luton playing. Right, Luton but, was playing the, uh, half the games and. In Mike Lennon. But he also didn't play well a lot of the time when he was playing. Because like, the situation was putrid. In 2019, he elevated that situation. He had a, they had a productive offense right, with him played, on the field. He played worse this year. The, the problem with Minshew is that we were like, okay, based off last year, what he did in that bad situation, like he's an untankable quarterback. He's too good for you to get the number one overall pick because he will get you a couple of those games, much like Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he's just good enough to get it by. And then this year, he, he wasn't. Like this year, he got outdueled by Fitzpatrick on a was it Thursday night game against Miami, where he was just crappy, um, and he had some good games in there as well. But it's like we were sort of we had literally just worked, just got to the point of like, are we disrespecting Gardner Minshew by not giving him more credit than that? By saying, all right, he isn't just uh, tank proof; he's actually potentially a good quarterback if you surround him with some better talent, and you know he can he can do some things. And then right at that point, he, he went on a stretch of just playing not well. And, yeah, had a couple of good games in there as well. But I think he showed enough last season to basically end any real projection of that. Like, he can be a lot better than this. I just want – I want him in my in my room as a backup at He's least. now young Fitzpatrick. Like – Yeah, that's fine. It's like, yeah, he'll, he's an average quarterback who will have some games where he looks really good and some games where he looks really bad. And you probably don't want that guy starting unless you can't find anybody else. Like, he's he's just a Fitzpatrick with 10 years left on the clock. All right, one more way to look at this. Which which quarterbacks have overcome horrible pass-blocking situations? Deshaun Watson, rookie season 2017. Justin Herbert last year, number 30 ranked pass-blocking unit. Both of those guys had, they both led productive offenses despite this pass-blocking unit. Dak Prescott last year, still kind of qualified. I kept him in this list, but Dak last year had a below-average pass-blocking unit. That's it. That's it on this list. That's Those are the only guys that led productive offenses with, you know, bottom 10 pass-blocking units. This is why what the Chargers did this season or this offseason is actually really impressive because you could have convinced yourself looking at what happened last year that we don't need that much work on the offensive line hey, look at what Justin Herbert was able to do. This, this guy was amazing. He got it done anyway. Like, let's put resources wherever we want. But they actually recognized that, you know what? He, even though he was incredible, what he did, 
Like that offensive line is garbage, and it still needs to be overhauled for him to be successful. In particular, I don't know if this weighed into their thought process or not, but like what he was doing with in terms of play under pressure. I think the number one graded quarterback in the NFL under pressure, it just isn't going to happen again. Like that will come down. It may not come, you know, it may not go all the way to terrible or whatever, but it's going, he's not going to be the number one graded quarterback in the NFL under pressure next year because that, that guy changes every year. It's not a consistent thing. So if they recognize that, it's like even smarter that, hey, he will regress under pressure. He won't be able to offset the bad offensive line as well as he was as a rookie. Let's absolutely make sure that that platform is better. The one other interesting name on this list is Lamar Jackson. The MVP season in 2019, number one pass blocking unit, number two run blocking, and 15th in receiving. And that was one of the most productive years we've seen, right? Mm-hmm. Last year, offense drops off. But what, where was the drop off? Still a number one run blocking unit right there at the top. Top 10 pass blocking unit. Lamar had both. But number 28 in receiving grade. And that was a big part of the of the drop off. Yeah, Lamar got a little bit worse. And look, there's there's some connectivity from pass, you know passing grade and passing production to the receiving grade and all that stuff. But that was the one big outlier. But but La- Lamar is the only quarterback that has led a productive offense with a bottom ten receiving core or bottom eight receiving core. He's the only one who's led a productive offense. And that's a unique offense, right? They yes. run the ball more than... So do we discount that or just talk about, well, that's his special skill set I mean, because I, their run production is so incredible. I think generally that Baltimore offense is so unique that it's very difficult to tease out conclusions <laughs> based off almost anything. I, I don't know that they or anybody else accurately understands the dynamics of play within that offense. How much Lamar Jackson and the run game and the way they run the system and play and call plays affects the passing game i honestly don't think that anybody has a good handle on that including the ravens who are amongst the smartest teams in the nfl in terms of analytics and how they you know compute all that kind of stuff and evaluate their own data i just don't think that we have enough data to understand how that offense is actually working yet all right i want to wrap it up with this let's let's take this discussion sam and and spin it forward in more detail now with the Jags, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson with the Jets, the other quarterbacks who could get drafted, right? Fields, Jones, and Trey Lance, but also Tua in the Dolphins. Like, what do the how, Where do the Dolphins have to take these steps forward for Tua to join the, the good list as far as leading productive offenses? We've, we've discussed the Burrow question. I think the, the point is the Beng- Bengals fans realize they had, they had bottom 10 pass blocking, run blocking, and receiving. That's why it's kind of a toss-up. That's why you just assume yeah. either guy is going to help, right? I think that's the bottom line with all this stuff is, is what your data is essentially showing is you need to eliminate the weak links in your roster, right? Having a young quarterback on a rookie contract that you're buying into gives you the spending uh, money and the freedom and the capacity to start eliminating those weak links in the chain. Um it doesn't really matter which weak links you're eliminating or in what order. You just need to get rid of them so that you do have a average or better roster across the board. And that's when your rookie quarterback can start to really um, make it make hay. So if you're Tua, I mean, that offensive line is not in good shape, right? It's maybe better than it was when they when that regime took over, but it's still bad. And they've made inroads, or at least they've added players to it. They've added... Uh, bodies they've added talent that they think will help but 
they need to start seeing some return. Like Tua will be behind the eight ball as long as that offensive line continues to be in a bad spot. So Miami needs to fix that. Cincinnati needs to fix still everything. Like most of their roster is still not in great shape. So again, Sewell Chase, either one, fix the other one the second round, keep hammering. You need to do a lot. Um, the Chargers have done a good job on that offensive line. Left tackle is probably where they're going to go. They could use some receivers as well. And then the Jags and the Jets still need, again, both offensive line and receivers, probably. The Jets maybe think they're okay at receiver um, and still need to address like a couple of weak links on that offensive line, but that's where it needs to go. Let's. Let, I want to talk about Tua and the Dolphins a little bit more because the Dolphins are one of the more fascinating teams in the draft with all of their draft capital. And I think most mock drafts and most people's – I think the headspace is very much kind of picking off some needs because the, the overall roster is good, right? They made the playoffs last year. They have all these draft picks now. And you grab an edge here and a safety there and a receiver there because Will Fuller is only on a one-year contract. But you, you keep bringing up the offensive line with the Dolphins. Do the Dolphins think that they have the offensive line even though on paper they weren't great last year? Do they think that they're fine? Because they drafted Austin Jackson in the first round. You have Robert Hunt, who was in there. Jesse Davis as a starting tackle. You brought in Eric Flowers, Matt Skura at center. But they had three rookies starting for a while last year. None of them performed particularly well except Hunt. Do you keep throwing resources there? Yeah. We, were making, we had this Rams discussion last year at this time. They looked bad on paper because of what they did the previous year. But all those guys also had like a track record of being good previous to that. The Dolphins don't. Right. right now. This Here's, this could derail their season. The argument that it's the same argument that we have when you say, look, if you go into the draft needing uh, several, multiple rookies to contribute uh, year one and be really good right away, or even just be good, period, you're probably going to struggle because the, the strike rate isn't that good, right? Nobody is batting even 50% on draft picks over any consistent period of time. So if you need more than one to be good and all you do is take two swings at it, you're going to miss, right? More times than not because it, you're, it's a 50-50 proposition. So how often are you actually hitting both those? How often are you hitting tails twice in a coin flip? It's, you know. So if you're Miami, you would be not playing the game correctly to say, well, we drafted a bunch of young guys. We liked all those guys. They will all come good right? Why would they? Because it doesn't usually happen that way. And you can't possibly, well, you can, you shouldn't be arrogant enough to assume that you're different to everybody else. And just because you like these guys, they will all come good. It might just take a year. You probably missed on one, two, maybe all of those guys. So keep adding resources until you're absolutely certain you've nailed it. Absolute worst case scenario, or two absolute worst case scenarios to doing that is one, you end up with more good offensive linemen than you can put on the field at any one time, which is not exactly a bad place to be, right? You, that gives you depth. It gives you contingency if somebody gets injured or gives you trade ammunition for an offensive line desperate team if you end up in that situation. Or two, you're concerned about robbing resources from another position because you've thrown so much at the offensive line. But Miami, in particular, is in this unique position of just having more resources than they know what to do with. So of all the teams in the NFL you need to worry the least about like robbing Peter to pay Paul and now, oh, no, now we don't have enough picks to spend on receivers or DBs or right. defensive linemen. You have all the picks in the world, spend more on offensive linemen. Yeah, again, my, I'm 
very intrigued by adding more weapons to that Miami receiving court. Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, and Preston Williams, plus whoever, right? But man, I if and I, I did misspeak. They did not make the playoffs. They made they won yeah. 100 games In and didn't make the playoffs, too. right? But I think if the offensive line doesn't develop, that derails their season. Yeah, and, and two is development. So it is something I think they should they should take a look at. The Jags, their offensive line looks okay on the interior with Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, and AJ Can, Jawan Taylor, and Cam Cam Robinson's only on the franchise tag this year. That's why I think the Jags' second first-round pick is prime candidate for is prime real estate for another tackle, whether it's a Dylan Ray Duns or Samuel Cosme. I think I think bringing another tackle into the mix for Trevor Lawrence's development because I've said how much I like their receiving core, and as much as I always get a little, I get excited when you see Elijah Moore there and you think about Trevor Lawrence throwing to him. I get excited about some of those Matt Terrace Marshall. I think tackles the way to go for the Jags. Yeah, and I mean, we're only talking offensive football here. Obviously, these teams have defenses to shore up as well. Their tackles last year combined to allow 98 total pressures. Like, that's, that's half of a, uh, a bad team's pressure rate in right. two players. Um, so they could use an upgrade at either one of those spots, even if you assume that Cam Robinson, like, maybe, they're, maybe they see something in Cam Robinson. They think that this will be the year that he develops and he becomes that top-tier tackle. Okay, great. One of two things happens. Either you need to then stump up for a monster contract based off a guy playing well in the contract year, or you let him walk. Either way, you probably need an extra tackle because you still your right tackle is, is in pieces as well. So, yeah, there's, there's no way that adding a tackle for them is a bad move. All right, we'll wrap it up in a second, talking uh, a little bit about fields and some of those other great situations. But also a reminder that Masvidal and Usman put on a show last time. They stepped into the octagon round two. Is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26-1 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. This seems pretty easy, Sam. Hmm. Place your bet. Watch the fist fly this weekend. That's promo code PFF. To turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And then, don't forget, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Professional. Professionally done. So go check that out. Let's wrap it up with the 49ers at 3. Is this is this the jackpot for Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Trey Lance? Yeah, you're stepping into Shanahan, mm-hmm. good offensive line, good group of weapons. Assuming they all stay healthy, potential jackpot there. Yeah, the quarterback in Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco is one of the two best quarterback situations in the NFL. The other one being the quarterback in Kansas City for Andy Reid and all the weapons that they have. So you would be stepping in day one to a team that is capable of going to the playoffs and the situation as an individual position that is probably tied for the best in the NFL. So I, if I'm Justin Fields, I would absolutely want to go number three over number two or number one. I don't even care about the, like the prestige of number one, the money, whatever. You are in a way better situation if he goes number three than either, those, that either of the guys going ahead. This is like... 
It's I've the underrated this, story in the draft, right? It's not. It's it's where they're going to go. But basically, it's like, everywhere Justin Fields yeah. can land is good for him. He lands in San Francisco, which is arguably the best situation of any quarterback anywhere. He lands in Denver. That's a really good situation. Incredible receiving group. Um, offensive line heading in the right direction. That's a good place to land. New England, an offense that's being retooled and, and makes a lot of sense. Washington is a playoff team headed in the right direction. Like, in Chicago, we're a quarterback away from being a really, really good team. So anywhere that he can land, like the only, again, like you said, the only team that can screw it up for him is Detroit. Detroit selects him. The dude might as well pull a John Elway or an Eli Manning and just say, I'm not doing that. Figure it out. Go somewhere else. Not playing there. But it's not just Fields. It's Mac Jones. Right. And it's Trey Lance. And so I think we always think about where they're going and who, who's going to be picked first when the real story is going to be what is the situation. The two worst situations are the two that are set in stone. It's Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville and Zach Wilson to the New York Jets. Those but are the two worst situations. Have a second first round pick and a ton of draft capital to build, and and so that's why right. But they again, can you're, flip that. You're not fixing it year one. Maybe not, but they can they could turn it around somewhat yeah, quickly. Like long term, there there might be there might be decent situations, but like short term, which is you know if you're those guys have endless amounts of rope, right? Like Trevor Lawrence is the future franchise, the unquestioned generational talent. That guy could suck for a while and still be no pressure for his job whatsoever. If you're quarterbacks three, four, and five, the quicker you can look good, the better in terms of your long-term future. And anywhere they're going to go is a better situation than if they got selected number two or number one. So there's a world where QB three off the board is going to look much better than QBs one or two yeah. in the early going. To the and, point where I would almost expect it. And we should not completely overreact yeah. to this? yeah. Wait till next year when we overreact. Whoa. That's still really loud. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that's the fire alarm. Again. And I was going to wrap it up anyway. Okay, it's just a test. Yeah. That's the warning for the Draft 30 promo code. Draft 30, 30% off any PFF subscription right here during draft season. Well done. That was good. We're glad, I'm glad we got the promo code yeah. alarm going. Uh, we should think about not scheduling that during the podcast. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. At least we reacted like it was a real fire. Draft 30. 30% off any PFF subscription now that we have your attention. Oh, we're testing Are again. Are we actually on fire? Is that Rick? Is Rick setting the building on fire? Can someone confirm if we're on fire or not? And Just if my... send up a flare if we're actually burning to death in here. Otherwise, we'll carry on as is. And if is. that's Rick, you could send him right in. Yeah, we can get on camera. People on YouTube are scared. Yeah. Okay. Someone let me know if there's a fire. Yeah. One of us. Anyway. Are. Um, type it into the YouTube chat. The promo code's Draft30. If someone could type that in so everybody could see it. 30% off any PFF subscription. And don't forget, Draft Night, Thursday night, starting at 7 p.m. We're going to be over here at pff.com. They've got a big table for me to sit in front of and a big... No, it's a tiny little chair that barely fits my weight. You, you're like on right on hours. the threshold of the... you. So it's funny, you know, when you buy like... You buy lawn chairs or those like fold up things that you go sit in the sideline of a kid's event or whatever. And everyone just buys one of those and sits in it and away you go, right? You actually have to pay attention to like the maximum weight limit of these things. I do. You're right at the, you're right I there. Yeah, there's so, some chairs that are only like 250 and stuff, right. you know? That, that's not going to cut it. It's not. Um, so we have these uh, little kind of cocktail stools. And I just think it's going to be kind of funny watching you perch on one of those for like six hours. I mean, even if it survives the six hours and keeps you upright, it's not going to be comfy. Uh, you know, it's not. 
No, not looking forward to it. But you should be. Draft night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday all day, Sunday at noon. All things NFL Draft over at PFF.com. Thanks to Hakeem Olajuwon and Penguin McBro, who dropped the Draft 30 promo code in the YouTube chat. If you're listening to podcast land, the two things you need to remember, uh, Draft 30 for your 30% off, plus send us more screenshots. We'll give away another Edge Annual. And uh, weird locations. In weird locations. All right, we have to, uh, let's do a giveaway. We have to give away an Edge Annual, and I'm going to send the emails out today. Okay, there you go. Uh, pick one. You got, you got somebody no, no, you can you're see? doing this. I, I did the other picks. You, you did are, pick the you other are one. You solely responsible for the uh, selecting of the screenshot emails. It's your problem, not mine. Oh, not man, I, pi- I picked it at random, but I think it's going to be Gary Gary Hughes, who seems he's from Ireland. Well, there you go. And he wants more rugby and one GAA takes from Sam. Yeah. So, uh, and then he said something in Irish. <laughs> what do you say? I'm not going to read it. Give it a swing. What do you got? Go rave math I got. <laughs> <laughs> Gary. Yeah. Write that down. Perfect. Gary Hughes. Did I print out his name? What, how do you actually say what I just said to you? Go America? Yeah. Go America. <laughs> Go America? No, not quite. Anyway. Gary Hughes. You're going to win a free PFF Edge annual. I announced one a couple shows ago. We're going to send that out as well. We'll get that going. Sound good? Yeah. Perfect. We'll be back tomorrow if we haven't burned down. Yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you tomorrow. BFF NFL Podcast. Wait.